Hello, everybody. This is the Power Slam podcast being recorded on May 25th, 2018. My name is Brendan Dennis. I am your host, and we will be talking today specifically about a preview for New Japan's, well, it might be their third kind of main event of the year. We'll talk about that in just a second. That'll be maybe the first thing I discuss. Uh, But regardless, Dominion 2018, it's going to be a pretty big pay-per-view level event featuring Tetsuya Naito versus Chris Jericho, as well as the fourth, well, I guess you could say fourth, fifth, and sixth, depending on how you want to go about it, matchup between Kenny Omega as the challenger versus Kazuchika Okada, the IWGP heavyweight champion. So I'm really looking forward to those matches. In addition, it will be the debut of the Young Bucks in the heavyweight division facing off against Sonata and Evil for those tag championships, as well as a triple threat for the never openweight championship between Hiroki Goto, the neverweight open champion, versus Michael Elgin versus Tai Chi in a triple threat match. That's going to be, it's a little bit of an odd match. And again, we'll talk about that. That'll be maybe one of the first ones I talk about after my dissection of Dominion as a pay-per-view level event here. But I'm excited to talk about it. Rey Mysterio also will be on the card fighting, you know, I guess TBD at this point. And then you would imagine there's going to be a United States Championship match at Dominion that at this juncture as I'm recording this here on May 25th, I don't think has been ferreted out but that would be the champion Jay White versus uh, question mark, question mark, question mark. I'm not really sure. He just, in his last feud, wrestled David Finlay. Um, Who knows? It could be Juice Robinson that he ends up going up against in that capacity. We'll have to see. But I wanted to record. Some of you might be wondering why I'm recording this preview on May 25th when the event takes place on June 9th, and we don't even necessarily have a full card. Uh, you know, the important matches, uh, the really kind of high-level matches, are lined up with the four that I mentioned. Um, and then Mysterio, I suppose, being in sort of the fifth um, and, and not having an opponent, so I can't necessarily preview that. But the reason that I'm doing it is I find myself kind of falling behind kind of on these recordings at times. And if I don't record it now, uh, chances are it's going to be released maybe the day of Dominion or there's not going to be a lot of buffer time for people to listen to it. So... I want to provide that buffer. I don't want to end up releasing it kind of the day of or doing something haphazard. Um, so if I do a subsequent cast that happens to be next week, um, it still takes place before Dominion. I might, you know, run down whatever matches uh, I don't preview here. But since we've got the main ones basically set at this point, I wanted to record it because we know, you know, what's going on. There's probably not too many storyline elements that need to be introduced that haven't been introduced already. So, well, let's kick off with the discussion of what I had raised, which is where does Dominion kind of fall on the New Japan calendar of events? I would actually argue that it is third um, behind Wrestle Kingdom and then the G1. Now, as a standalone event, a standalone date, could you say that it falls number two? Absolutely. I would completely concur, as a matter of fact, that just as a standalone event, it would be number two behind Russell Kingdom. But the G1 being such a huge event with so many dates leading up to that final, I would say that you know the G1 final, in terms of a date, 
to me has to be has to be number two just because of the importance of it. And they've really done a great job hyping it. The G1 semifinals and final over the last you know handful of years have been fantastic. And last year, when you've got the talent that you had in that semifinal with the top four, what I consider to be the top four, the kind of the Mount Rushmore of New Japan currently being Kazuchika Okada, Tetsuya Naito, Kenny Omega, and Hiroshi Tanahashi, it doesn't really get any better. And um, you know, to see them have amazing semifinal matches, and then for Omega and Naito to put on a great G1 final, that, that's that's kind of what you dream of. So Dominion's certainly up there, though, and that's why we're talking about it, a major pay-per-view level event. I always say pay-per-view level now because you can't really say pay-per-view. I don't know if Japan, if New Japan runs pay-per-views in Japan. I would like to know that. Obviously, New Japan World is huge and it's become just a gigantic streaming service, but uh, I wonder if it's like it is here in the States where the pay-per-view has moved the way of the dinosaur and they don't really do it that way anymore. They go with the network, the streaming, and that's how they digest their media. But however they digest their media, <laughs> however we digest the media, which is New Japan World, if you want to watch this, uh, yeah, what is it, 999 yen, which if you do the conversion, basically equates, it's almost $10. Sometimes, depending on where the yen is as opposed to the dollar, it'll jump down to about $9. But totally worth that $10 fee, about the same as what the network, the WWE network would be for that month. Again, as I always advise when we do these New Japan previews, as I did previously way back for Wrestle Kingdom, get the subscription for New Japan World in the same calendar month, the same calendar month as the event. So if you were going to want to watch Dominion on June 9th, you were going to want to sign up for New Japan World on June 1st or just thereafter because it will run for the month of June. So again, if you sign up on you know this week, you know being May 25th, let's say you've signed up now, you're like, well, it's within my 30 days. Great. I'll watch 30 days of New Japan. No, well, you'll, you can, but it'll cost you $20 rather than 10 because they'll bill you again at the 1st of June. So just be cognizant of that. Watch out for it. Wait till the beginning of June to subscribe if you just want the event. So let's move into the matches and let's talk about that triple threat that I mentioned, being Hiroki Goto as the champion versus Michael Elgin versus Tai Chi. Now what's interesting about this is this is Tai Chi's first foray, so to speak, into some serious heavyweight competition. I mean, Tai Chi had been you know, involved in the heavyweight division leading up here over the last few weeks. It's been kind of a slow roll for him, kind of a slow build for him, um, but he's getting better with it. I think that you know there have been a handful of matches where he's kind of held his own, but as you know with New Japan, a lot of those have been tag matches as they typically build up singles feuds through tags. And now to see Tai Chi step out into the spotlight in more of a major event, we'll see how he responds. I think that, to me, Tai Chi isn't a whole lot more than kind of a mid-level guy. I think his, his gimmick, it's like a very Phantom of the Opera-esque type gimmick. He has a very pretty valet, I'll give him that. But that's sort of what I view it as, and it's a little bit different, but I just, it's not going to get over huge for me. And then the whole, yeah, that's the other gimmick of Tai Chi's. If you, if you don't watch Tai Chi's match, the thing that you'll notice when you do is, one, his valet. 
um, who I think is actually, I don't want to say she's famous in Japan, but I think she's got some fringe notoriety outside of being Tai Chi's valet, which I, I think that makes that a little bit interesting. Um, but then in number two, the pants. The pants, the ripping of the pants. He'll come in and he'll start wrestling essentially in tracksuit bottoms, I guess is how I'll describe them, and they're tearaways. And so then he'll tear them away midway through the match when he's like, you know, really firing up. When he means business, he tears the pants and then goes to the trunks. Which, you know, I think is, to me, it's kind of humorous. I don't know if that's how he wants it to come off, but I think it's a little kind of silly almost. But I know that they're trying to build him up um, within Suzuki-gun as another major competitor in the heavyweight division. Of course, you have Minoru Suzuki. You have uh, Zack Sabre Jr., who they just built up to win the New Japan Cup, which was pretty great. And now they're trying to do something similar with Tai Chi. So who knows, with the never open weight belt, I mean, that thing, you know, goes from hand to hand to hand to hand to hand so many times, it, it wouldn't totally shock me if he were to win this match. So then with Michael Elgin, Michael Elgin, they've got as basically a big hoss out there in Japan. He is a very, very good wrestler for somebody of his size. I mean, he could very well win this. And then Hiroki Goto, who... I think he's still looked at in Japan as kind of the guy who fights the good fight but can never quite get over the hump, is, is how I would describe Goto. And he's got the never open weight belt, but that is, I mean, really it could even be viewed as being behind the U.S. title at this point, as the U.S. title was held for a good period of time by Kenny Omega. Um, and the never weight belt usually just cycles through guys who are kind of on the lower end. I think Suzuki elevated it a little bit heading into... Wrestle Kingdom because he, of course, has a ton, has a huge lineage and a ton of credibility. But and then Go, Goto's got it. But Goto, for a guy like Goto, you're going to want to see that IWGP Heavyweight run with him if he can ever get his hands on that belt. Um, you know, I think it'll be a, a very emotional moment for him. But maybe it's time to get it off Goto and for him to move it to another program. Uh, he has had it since Wrestle Kingdom at this point, which will have been, by the time Dominion happens, it'll been over five months. And for a belt that's hot-shotted pretty often, that's an extremely long period of time, actually, for one person to hold that belt. So my prediction is that it is going to get moved off of Goto. I'm going to say that they're going to go with Tai Chi. And maybe this will lead into a singles feud between Tai Chi and Elgin. And then they move Goto to another program. That would be my prediction. But the, in terms of the actual belt movement, I think that they are going to move it to Tai Chi. Um, and there'll probably be some sort of Suzuki-gun shenanigans, as there always are, um, in order to effectuate that change. Another match that I am looking forward to very much is the Young Bucks foray, essentially, into the heavyweight ranks. They go straight to the ta they straight to the title match, right? The tag titles. And I suppose it's only fitting, considering they are, um, what, seven-time IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Champs. So to, to give them a pretty quick heavyweight tag title shot, I suppose, makes sense. And the fact that Kenny is wrestling Kazuchika Okada for the heavyweight belt kind of takes the Golden Lovers out of the running for the time being. 
so with that in mind, uh, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with it from a booking standpoint. I think it'll be a very fun match just to see how exactly the Young Bucks transitioned into wrestling, you know, heavier guys. I mean, the Young Bucks, let, let's face facts, I mean, the Young Bucks do wrestle some heavier guys. They're multi-time Ring of Honor tag champs, and they've been tag champs in other promotions. But, I mean, Evil and Sonata are not small dudes. Okay, I mean, both of them, Sonata's tall and built, and Evil's, you know, a little stockier. So this is not going to be, you know, the Young Bucks versus Rapongi Vice or Rapongi 3K. It's going to be a significantly different style of match. And I personally don't have much doubt that the Bucks can wrestle that way. I, I think they can, there are a couple of guys who have adapted in their careers, not just in the ring, but outside of the ring. And they're very athletic. I, I've got a lot of confidence that they can make it work with guys who are a bit bigger. And if anything proved that, to me, it was the style in which they wrestled Sho and Yo, Rapongi 3K, at Wrestle Kingdom. Because it was just a very different style of match where you've got Matt Jackson selling his knee and them working. I mean, it was still a high-flying match in some capacity, but they were working kind of a grounded style to a degree with these guys who are high flyers and the fact that they were able to work it that way and make it into a very watchable and good match gives me a lot of confidence that they can do the same with two guys that are very clearly heavyweights and I mean evil could weigh twice as much as one of them <laughs> but um that'll be a cool match from a storyline standpoint the Bucks are again you've got kind of the Bullet Club melodrama still sort of floating around and then there was the element during the last being the elite. So the last being the elite, the very end of the episode shows, I believe, both Matt Jackson and Kenny Omega texting with each other. And Kenny had, I, I haven't been able to look at it. I'm sure some of those who are more eagle-eyed have paused their televisions or whatever to take a look at the text. But Kenny had some sort of text typed in response to Matt wondering if Kenny had opened the box and talking about what's in the box. And Kenny deleted whatever text that he did have that I wasn't able to read and said something along the lines that he would call Matt after Dominion. Well, the funny thing is, I, I don't know if they realized this when they recorded the episode. I would imagine they had to have, but they're both wrestling on the card at Dominion. So I suppose that doesn't mean that they have to talk to each other, but I do find it sort of interesting because they both will be actively wrestling at Dominion Again, the, the Kenny, Cody, Young Bucks, and then OG Bullet Club. The OG Bullet Club has been extremely silent. I mean, they haven't, I haven't heard from them in any capacity as to what, what's going on within this Bullet Club leadership structure. Um, but I'm sure you'll hear from them and just kind of to find out exactly what's going on here going forward because it's still it's still hanging out there like a big matzo ball. I mean, are Kenny Omega and Cody still in the Bullet Club? I mean, Cody's got a newish Bullet Club shirt out. So I'm imagining that there's at least a good chance that he's still in the Bullet Club, but is, is Kenny Omega really a member of the Bullet Club anymore? And who knows? I mean, I, I would imagine that he's going to have this kind of regular entrance at Dominion, but it sounds like Kota Ibushi is going to be at his side, and I wouldn't expect to see anybody from Bullet Club out there with him. So, again, it's something to keep an eye on. We'll talk about that when I talk about the main event here in a minute. Um, moving over to LIJ and Evil and Sonata, they have been very good as tag champs. I think it makes a lot of sense 
for them to be in tag programs. I think they're both very good singles wrestlers as well, and they can use, from a singles perspective, they're great because they're dangerous. And whenever you've got them in that position from a singles perspective to wrestle for you know the intercontinental title or the heavyweight title, they're sort of in the same vein as Bad Luck Fale, where you've got to sort of take them seriously even though you kind of know in the back of their head, your head they're probably not going to win the belt, you know they, they've won enough off matches, non-title matches, G1 matches, New Japan Cup matches against top-level talent, where it at least makes you think. And again, one of the things I love about New Japan as opposed to WWE, the booking from that perspective is great because it keeps you on the edge of your seat because you know that these guys have wrestled these talents before and won. They've won against these guys previously. So it's completely believable that they could beat them for this, these title matches. And every once in a while, every blue moon, New Japan will pull the string on having one of those major upsets. Um, but again, the G1 is usually where a lot of the buildup transpires because you'll see those upsets occur, setting up you know, post-tournament title matches, that type of stuff. So Evil and Sonata have both won big matches against big uh, performers individually, but not, there wasn't really anything for them from a program standpoint right now, and to have them as the heavyweight tag champs with the other two members of LIJ who are not Naito, being Takahashi and Bushi, both being juniors, it only makes sense to have them tag for the heavyweight uh, tag titles while Naito you know, continues his singles run. So who do I think is going to come out on top on this one? I'm going to say LIJ for a number of various reasons. Uh, firstly, this is the Young Bucks' first foray at a major event into the heavyweight ranks, so I don't think, especially within New Japan, that they're going to put them over as champs. Secondly, the Young Bucks also hold currently the six-man never-open-weight belts with Marty Scrawl. So they're already title holders, not to say the Young Bucks don't love having more belts around their waist and their shoulders and everything else, but they're already representing the brand Granted, on the lowest of low stages with those belts. I mean, those, be those belts are basically nothing, um, but they technically do have other titles that they'll have, I'm sure, around their shoulders or their waists heading into Dominion. And then third, the Bucks at this point... They certainly wrestle in New Japan, but I think that their New Japan dates have really sort of been stretched out lately. They don't wrestle in New Japan as often as they once did, because somebody can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I believe that the Bucks were at one point earlier on New Japan exclusive. Maybe when they first started wrestling in New Japan, when they were inserted into the Bullet Club stuff at the end, end of Prince Devitt's run in 2014, they might have been New Japan exclusive at the time. But everyone knows that they are ROH wrestlers now, and they're essentially lended to New Japan. So they don't work quite as often as they used to back when they started, I think, winning those uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship uh, tag belts. So with that, there's not going to be as many opportunities to have them in title defenses. So with all that in mind, I, I suspect Evil and Sonata will be the tag champs going forward. I, I think this one's a relatively easy call that they retain here. And they'll probably be tag champs, I would imagine, going maybe into the G1. But uh, their individual runs, both Evil and Sonata, in the G1 will be something to keep an eye on. Uh, because if they each do well, or if one of them does well, um, you can certainly see the tag titles being taken off of them at some point. And then that individual or both of them potentially, because they do have the potential, going into singles runs.
next of the four main matches, the four known matches at this point would be not for a title because there is no title involved. Uh, Pride, how about that? More than anything else between Tetsuya Naito and Chris Jericho. I still don't totally understand the build for this match. I think the Jericho Omega stuff was pretty cool in that Jericho could say, look, we're both Canadian, we're both from Winnipeg, I'm the best wrestler in, in the history of Winnipeg, not <laughs> Kenny Omega, he's the one that gets all the notoriety now. You know, I'm going to show him what wrestling is really all about. Whereas what's going on with um, Jericho and Naito, I kind of don't totally understand because it's sort of the same type of build where it's Jericho, you know, beating him up in New Year's Dash, beating him up again at Dantaku, you know, coming out of the crowd to do so. But other than Jericho just being a crazy, crazy guy, basically, and jumping out of crowds and, and wearing masks to hide his identity to attack Tetsuya Naito, I don't know what else the build is. Why is he attacking Naito? I'm not sure that that has been entirely explained. And even with the recent video that was just played at one of the best of the Super Junior shows that had Jericho on there kind of hyping their match, again, it's just Jericho being crazy. I'm crazy. I can beat you because I'm crazy. Well, I mean, so, so there's not a lot of story. I am very interested to see Tetsuya Naito wrestle Chris Jericho, and maybe New Japan, to a degree, feels, and even Jericho feels, they don't have to promote the match too much from a storyline perspective because it's such an intriguing matchup in and of itself. But to me, I would have liked to have seen some, some storyline build that really hasn't been there, particularly considering they had Jericho attack Naito all the way back on January 5th, and then they don't have him attack Naito again or do anything with Naito until, you know, the beginning or middle of May. I, I mean, I think it was a very long drop there for over four months between doing anything for the match, and I understand that Jericho had some contractual things that he wanted to work out with New Japan, and I think there were some serious questions about whether the match would even transpire at various points, but it's somewhat annoying to have had such a lull with with very little or any build when even if Jericho thought that the match might, might not happen you know, just drop a little dime here or there to kind of hype it don't just let it lie for, for so long I think that's that that would be my critique of it um, otherwise I like the bushy move and the jump into the ring I thought that was kind of cool um, and I think the match is gonna be fun so let's get into that match another opportunity for Jericho to put somebody over, and I think that's what he's doing at this point in his career. But the the wild card here is that there is no belt involved. Okay, the, the Intercontinental belt's not involved, the heavyweight belt's not involved, no belt whatsoever here. So if they wanted to do a series match, or at least a instead of a one-off, a two-off, they could do it here. And the reason that I think the belt is so important is that Jericho's not going to defend a belt in New Japan. New Japan. He's not winning a belt <laughs> in New Japan. So that was very important in telling going into the Wrestle Kingdom 12 match with Omega, who had the U.S. championship, because I, there was no real concern Omega was going to lose that match because Jericho wasn't going to be able to defend the U.S. belt. He had a bunch of Fozzy tour dates coming up. He had other arrangements that wasn't going to allow for him to be active in New Japan. Right now, you've got sort of the same thing going on because I know he's doing another leg of the Judas Rising tour for Fozzy over the course of the summer. But if there's no belt, 
then Jericho presumably could end up winning, and then you have Naito maybe get the win back at the G1 special that they're going to be running in the United States. That would be my guess. So, well, we'll talk about predictions in a second. I'm not saying that's my prediction, but if, if Jericho were to win the match, I think you would certainly see Naito get it back. It would just be a matter of where and when. And, and my guess as to when it would happen would be the G1 special in the U.S., which I believe is taking place. That's the uh, one at the Cow Palace, I think, in San Francisco in July. So, from Chris Jericho's perspective, we all know what he's doing, freelancing it, essentially doing what he wants in the world of wrestling while he... You know, works with Fozzy. You know, I think he's got his other venture being, but I'm Chris Jericho, uh, which has to do with his acting career when he took some time off at WWE some years ago. It was like about 10 years ago, I want to say, um, and kind of went into the world of acting and had some struggles. I think that'll be interesting. I can't remember what he's doing. If it's a podcast, I think it is some sort of like um, podcast type show, but he's happy with these other ventures. And unless WWE comes back and says, here's a ton of money to do only a very set few amount of dates, which they very well could, because in all honesty, they just did that recently with Big Show, uh, who was just on Steve Austin's podcast, and essentially stated that he got a three-year deal with WWE that very clearly doesn't require him to work a whole bunch of dates, um, but keeps him exclusive and allows him to do charity work on the side and be kind of a brand ambassador. I mean, WWE wanted to lock up Jericho to something like that, and something they could offer him, whether he'd take it, I'm not entirely positive, because I think he likes being a free agent, I think he likes bouncing around, and is interested in all-in and all the other stuff that's going on. But if WWE wanted to sign Chris Jericho at this point, that's the type of offer they would have to offer him. I don't know if Chris Jericho is going to come back and do another full-time run. And if he did, maybe he'd be willing to do it, but it's got to be a situation where he's winning, winning a big belt, and or they have just an amazing storyline lined up with somebody he really wants to work with desperately. Those are the only ways that they're going to get him back for any set period of time. Um, but he still got it as that brawl with Omega evidenced back at Wrestle Kingdom 12. It was a solid match that you really had never kind of honestly seen Chris Jericho wrestle before. And I liked it. I liked the violence of it. It's going to be something very similar with Tetsuya Naito at Dominion. They're going to be rubbing each other's faces in the mud, uh, getting dirty, and I'm excited for it. I, I wasn't sure what to expect with the Jericho Omega match at Wrestle Kingdom 12, and I, like I'm sure so many other were, especially those who are fans of Y2J, was extremely pleasantly surprised. And granted, it's a fresh match, but it was definitely one of the best of his career, if not the best. It was a really, really cool match to watch and to see that he could you know you, you, the old adage is you can't teach an old dog new tricks Chris Jericho's got so many tricks in the back of his mind and in his bag you've got no idea what he's going to do next and who knows maybe he'll wrestle even a style that nobody's familiar with against Tetsuya Naito I mean, don't put that past him you know some sort of style that you could never see him wrestle uh, you could pull out anything at any time and so that's, again, what makes me excited to see him wrestle Naito. From Naito's perspective, he's not languished since Wrestle Kingdom 12, but this is sort of what I was afraid of after his loss to Okada at Wrestle Kingdom 12. So you have him lose, and then he's just sort of bouncing around. Now, you've got him wrestling Chris Jericho, 
which is a pretty huge opportunity for him. But they, he's lost some matches to guys that you really shouldn't see him lose matches to since that time, uh, specifically in the New Japan Cup. So I'm just not a huge fan with the Naito booking. I think that he should have won at Wrestle Kingdom 12. I know that New Japan is very confident in Okada. He's bringing in the crowns, bringing in the money. Um, you know, they wanted to see him break the defenses streak and the streak of the time holding the belt. But to me, to push that, you've really kind of damaged a guy who was right at the top and had all the momentum in the world heading into that match. It could have just had the rocket strapped onto him and been an absolute superstar. And not to say he's not a star in New Japan, but he's not considered to me necessarily to be one of the guys. I put him in the top four all the time with Okada, Omega, and Tanahashi, but something's got to be done to kind of elevate him to that next level, and that's what I'm waiting to see, something to really propel him to superstardom. And I thought that that match at Wrestle Kingdom 12 was the major opportunity to do that. Now what do you do, make him a back-to-back G1 champion? I, I don't know. Maybe that is the route that they go, but they're going to have to really pull out some tricks and go full bore on him to build him back up for Wrestle Kingdom 13 if that's where they eventually want to put him over. So uh, this one is kind of a toss-up to me. I'm going to say Naito just because unless they came to an agreement with Jericho to do the G1 special in the States in July already, I don't know if they want to have Naito lose to Chris Jericho with the idea out there that they're not sure that they're going to get the win back in the future because of this contract um, uncertainty. That That's the way I'll put it. So I think that there's a higher percentage chance they're going to go in Naito, again, unless Jericho's committed to multiple dates. And maybe he has. You know, that's what I guess I don't know. If Jericho's could, committed to multiple dates, again, I could see Naito losing and then getting it back either next month or maybe around the time of the G1 in Japan. I don't know. But without a multi-date commitment from Chris Jericho, I think you kind of have to see Tetsuya Naito go over in this one. Finally, we're going to move to the big match. But actually, before I do that, let's talk about Rey Mysterio and his involvement. So Mysterio is going to be there. He, in addition, is going to be at All In, as was announced at the press conference back, I think, on May 12th. And it seems as though the health concerns that were keeping him out of WrestleMania and have kind of... I guess for lack of a better term, jumbled his contract negotiations with WWE, uh, seemed to have at least temporarily been resolved. I think Rey Mysterio, to be honest with you at this point, is always going to have some sort of health problem. It's just a matter of what the health problem is, but hopefully he's in a good enough position right now uh, to carry him not only through Dominion, but then through All In and get him some future bookings and maybe get him that WWE deal to uh, finalize his time there. But I'd like to address who I think that he might wrestle at Dominion. And you look at Ray and you instantly think Junior because of you know his size. But we also all know that Ray Mysterio has wrestled a number of heavyweights and even some very large heavyweights over the years to some pretty positive successes. Now again, that was back in the days of the more high-flying Ray Mysterio. Can that Ray Mysterio still appear? in 2018 and put on that level of a match. I, I don't know if I know the answer to that question. I'm not even sure that Ray would with all of his health concerns. But additionally, I don't know if I, I don't know the answer to this. Not, I'm not going to say I don't know if I don't, because I don't. Um, but the winner of the best of the Super Juniors, is that final at Dominion, or is that something separate? 
I don't know. I might have to do some digging into that. Because you would think that it won't be for the championship with Osprey unless the BOTSJ final is at Dominion. If the final is at Dominion and it doesn't include Osprey, then you could do that as the final and then have Mysterio maybe battle Osprey for the junior championship. And then whoever is the champion coming out of that match wrestles the best of the super junior winner for the title shortly afterwards. I, I don't know how that works. But if the BOTSJ final is before Dominion, I would anticipate the winner of that wrestling Will Osprey for the belt there. So I'm going to say, just for the sake of this, that Osprey's out of the running. Who do you have Ray wrestle? It could be Tanahashi, right? It could be Tanahashi. It could be... I would love to actually see a match between him and Suzuki. I think that Suzuki just being a total ass and you know, trying to keep Ray grounded, locking him in multiple submissions. That that would be a very interesting match to me. But you know Ray is going to get the face pop. He's going to be looked at as the face. So with that, I would think that it would be somebody like a Minoru Suzuki. I'm going to go with Suzuki. Why not? Let's say Minoru Suzuki, the IWGP Intercontinental Champion, versus Rey Mysterio for that belt. And if that were to happen, I would think Suzuki would retain again, simply due not only to the contractual situation surrounding Mysterio, but also even probably more importantly, his health concerns. I would think that Minoru Suzuki would win that match and retain. So after that preview, finally, we move on to the IWGP Heavyweight Championship match, two out of three falls, which is why I said fourth, fifth, and sixth matches potentially, if you want to count them by pinfall between the champion Kazuchika Okada and the challenger Kenny Omega um, but it will legitimately be the fourth time that they lock up when they step into the ring uh, with each other on June 9th the record is 1-1-1 one, one, and one. Okada winning at Wrestle Kingdom 11 Omega winning at the G1 semifinal in 2017 and them going to a time limit draw in a 60 minute match at Dominion 2017 so here we are. I thought it was very smart for Okada to call out Omega, say, look, I've beaten everybody, but you I've got a mixed record against. Let's, you know, make, make this decisive and move on. And then for Omega to come out and say, you know what, let's do that. And the best way to do it being two out of three falls. So we could really truly have somebody kind of come out on top. And heading into this, again, a lot of the speculation, let's talk about Omega first, with what I mentioned earlier when speaking about the Bucks. It looks like Kenny Omega is full-bore Golden Lovers. It sounds like Kota Ibushi is going to come out with him ringside. I do not expect the Young Bucks or any other uh, Bullet Club members to be with him ringside and be supporting him. So it'll be a very different environment than what we saw just over a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, at the G1 2016 when Kenny Omega you know, won the tournament and was able to challenge Okada for the first time at, at Wrestle Kingdom 11. You'll remember that the Bullet Club all came out and celebrated with Omega in the ring after winning that G1, waving the Bullet Club flag around. Everybody was happy, including the OGBC and then the Young Bucks, and um, everybody was together. That was back before Cody got involved and we had the whole feud, and that is not going to be the scene here at Dominion on June 9th. It's going to be Kenny Omega with blonde hair instead of black and white, 
uh, Kota Ibushi by his side. But we're all going to get treated to a main event that involves two of the best wrestlers in the world today, potentially the two best wrestlers in the world today. And it will be long, it will be violent, it'll be, you'll, you'll be amazed. For those of you who have not watched New Japan, again, this is an, an event to get not only because of the names that are on it, but if you watch this main event, you will be just in awe. I mean, <laughs> so what Okada and Omega will be able to do from a stamina standpoint, going as long as they will, and just beating the living hell out of each other. It's really mind-blowing what they're all capable of. So to me, it's, it's a must-get. Uh, I was kind of on the fence, but then Jericho came in and you know the two out of three falls match was announced with Okada and Omega, and I said, you know what, I gotta get this. I'm gonna definitely watch it, and I'll be really excited to do it. There's no doubt about it. But with the Bullet Club leadership issues going forward, I don't know if I really see Omega in a position to win this match. I, I think that he's still going to be without a belt. I definitely could envision a scenario where the Golden Lovers um, have the tag championships, where the Young Bucks lose them here at Dominion. The Golden Lovers go on to take the tag belts around the time of the G1. And then shortly after that, maybe in the same card as the G1 final, you've got a match between the Golden Lovers and the Young Bucks for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Championships. So that's sort of where I see Kenny right now. I, from a singles, I think a lot of people will be upset that from a singles standpoint you're dialing him back because he is such a phenomenal singles wrestler. But I see them building up the tag title chances of the Golden Lovers significantly more than any sort of Omega or Ibushi for that matter because we know he can wrestle singles no problem uh, storyline for either of those competitors right now. So even though we're in that dead period for Okada and that's what I've called it with Okada is now we're in kind of no man's land where before it was well let's build up Okada and have him break all the records and be the you know the big player here he's accomplished all of that so there's no reason from that perspective to keep the belt on him any longer and that's integral here because if there is no reason to keep the belt on him then he could genuinely lose it at any time I just don't think this is going to be it and truly and honestly it might not be until Russell Kingdom 13 so if anybody wants to see the belt come off of Okada, I know I predicted that the belt was going to come off of him before that, but the more that I think about it, and sometimes you just need to talk these things out with yourself, like I do on this podcast, the, the more convinced I become that they're really genuinely building this up as an Okada-Naito rematch for Wrestle Kingdom 13. For Okada... Again, he's done it all. He continues to wrestle at an extremely high level. I think that he's proven to be one of, if not the best in the world, uh, one uh, PWI Wrestler of the Year uh, from 2017, which had to have been huge for him. First time they named a New Japan wrestler as Wrestler of the Year. And again, kind of another shot across the bow at WWE. They don't try to acknowledge anymore or I should say not acknowledge anymore New Japan. They recognize that New Japan exists, that it's a somewhat popular promotion, and they try to use it to their advantage when they then go and get the New Japan talent to work for them. Much to the chagrin of Gato and Jado, I'm sure. And just a quick aside, I actually just listened to the most recent talk as Jericho, which was released on May 24th. Actually, it might have been this morning, May 25th. It probably was, because today's Friday, and he released it with Duff McKagan's joke of the week. Um, 
but it was a podcast that he had with Rocky Romero, and clearly this was recorded years ago, not years ago, months ago, back at some time in 2017. I couldn't exactly pinpoint when it was, but it had to have been around the time in Fukuoka when he attacked Kenny Omega for the first time. I think that might have been what it was. It might have been 2017 when he jumped Omega. Um, it was recorded, and I bring that up because one of the things that Rocky mentioned, again, with WWE trying to get New Japan talent, is that Matt Bloom called him, and he almost wound up as a trainer at the WWE Performance Center. And this took place around the same time that Styles and Nakamura and Anderson and Gallows left back at the beginning of 2016, end of 2015. So, again, WWE is very cognizant that they've got some competition in New Japan and they do not want to see their competition really move into their space in the United States and start to suck up subscribers, I can tell you that. And a lot of that movement um, has been based upon what Kazuchika Okada has been able to do as champion. He's a believable champion, he's a very, very good wrestler, he has added other finishers to his repertoire because he was using the Rainmaker so much to put away opponents that he's even shifted that around and, and that's worked out very well for him. So. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if WWE has, one, either gone after Okada and he's turned it down, or two, will be going after Okada soon. And this was also mentioned on the same podcast by Jericho. He said, you know, WWE could pay Kazuchika Okada a million dollars a year just to sit in NXT and not do anything with him, but just so they could get him away from New Japan and hurt the competition. And he and Romero talked about that. It could have been talked about actually uh, much longer and much more extensively, but they just sort of discussed it off the cuff as something that wouldn't be, you know, entirely shocking. But Okada's worked previously in America with TNA um, that, you know, was something that didn't go particularly well for him, unlike his New Japan run, which has been incredibly successful. And I don't think he's coming back to the United States. I think he's going to stay with that promotion. He is the top dog. He will be the top dog. Uh, until he reaches probably Tanahashi's age, if he wants to be. He'll main, continue to main event over and over and over. And I see him keeping this belt. And, of course, for it to go to three falls. Let's not forget that prediction. <laughs> um, but unequivocally, this is going to go two, three falls. Um, I don't think there's any way it would go anything less than that. And I'm going to predict that Omega gets the first fall and then Okada gets the last two just to build some drama, because if Omega gets the first fall, everybody's going to be on the edge of their seat thinking that all of a sudden there could very well be a title change that's going to take place. But no, he's, he's going to fall uh, for the next two, and that will end up being all she wrote in, again, the fourth, fifth, and sixth chapter of the Kenny omega Kazuchika okada rivalry. And then Kenny will go back to uh, teaming with Ibushi, and focusing on the Golden Lovers going forward, Okada will continue with the belt into the G1 Special in July, and we'll see who his opponent is for that. Um, I mean, I guess they could have him wrestle Omega again because they're going to want to probably have him wrestle an American for that show with it being in San Francisco. But thinking about it, I'm not quite sure who it would be. I, it could be Cody, I suppose. The problem being that I'm not sure how many people would take on Cody as an actual believable challenger. I think it just about everybody and their mother would recognize that Cody would have essentially little to no shot of winning that match. 
but again, I, I think that they probably want to come up with an American challenger and Okada will have just come off of beating Omega in a two out of three falls match. So unless the finish in that is going to be sloppy, um, I don't see Okada wrestling Omega again. And as we know, as New Japan fin fans, the finishes are often very clean in New Japan. Not a lot of dusty finishes there. So that is the preview for Dominion 2018. Again, if any additional matches are announced, uh, particularly a U.S. title match for Jay White between now and my next cast, I will be sure to cover it next time. Uh, but New Japan looks like they're going to have an extremely strong show uh, coming up on June 9th. I would recommend that anybody who is a fan of wrestling get the show. It looks like it's going to shape up to be something that we're all going to want to see. And before I sign off, I realize I made a mistake during the cast. I'm not going to go back and correct it right now. But the Naito-Jericho match is for the Intercontinental Championship. That I had forgotten. It is for a belt. Um, so again, you know, I, I got Naito winning this anyway because of Jericho's contractual issues. The fact that a belt is also in, in the match um, makes me believe even further, frankly, that Naito is going to win that match because uh, I had forgotten that Naito had defeated Minoru Suzuki for the Intercontinental title at Haino Kuni a few weeks ago. So that is my fault. Um, so then if Suzuki is in a match at Dominion, it would be non-title. And maybe maybe Suzuki, again, Suzuki Mysterio could be a good match. Um, again, it would be a non-title match. Who knows, Mysterio could then beat Suzuki if a belt isn't involved. So you never know. But again, the Naito Jericho match is for the Intercontinental title. And going back to my build for the match, I actually remember there, there is something that Jericho did bring up with respect to winning so many Intercontinental Championships and being essentially the Intercontinental Champion flag bearer for WWE. So that is another element of it that I suppose adds a little bit of drama. Um, but regardless, awesome show coming up. Uh, everybody should pay attention to it. It should be a great time. And I will talk to everybody next week. Thank you very much. Have an awesome Memorial Day weekend.